0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. This morning, in our series in the book of Romans, and this is going right into chapter 13. So if you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and flip over to Romans chapter 13. You got a two week break from the book of Romans. Through uh, Pastor Andy and Pastor Keith, and they did a good job uh, speaking. So glad that we have gifted teachers on our staff that are able to just step in and uh, to teach the Word of God. And it's just such a blessing to have those guys on staff and on our team. It's just wonderful. Um, and I appreciate them uh, teaching and, and filling the pulpit. And uh, now we're going to jump back into Romans. And uh, our goal is to get through this by the end of the year. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, see what the Lord has in mind. Um, but. Today, I want us to go in the 13th chapter and look at what Paul is saying. Now, let's remember a few vital things when we approach the book of Romans in context. We remember that Paul is a Jewish man who was a Pharisee, and he was persecuting the church. We remember that God met him on the road to Damascus, where he was going to go persecute more of the church, and God knocked him off of his horse, and then he then uh, found Jesus. Jesus personally met him, and his life was radically changed. Now, Paul was not only a Jew, he was not only a Pharisee, but Paul was also a citizen of Rome. So Paul understands the culture of both the Jews and the Romans. Now, he's writing this book to the church in Rome, which is made up of Jews and Romans, made up of Greeks or Gentiles, and it's made up of Jewish citizens. So here you have all these people, and the only commonality they have is is their faith in Jesus Christ, and he's trying to help them to understand that that's really all that matters. He understands the cultural differences. He understands the belief differences. He understands all of the different value systems that they may have been given and and the different perspectives that they have had being raised up in the environment that they were, but now he's trying to bring them together in chapter 12 through unifying the church and dealing with their relationships with one another. So he's dealing with all of that stuff, and that's what we talked about last time i spoke that was romans chapter 12 really hitting home this idea of mercy being the theme that should unify us all that should bring us together that we realize that we're not better because we're a jew or a gentile or if we put it in our modern day vernacular that we're not better because of the way we were raised or the things we've gone through or mistakes we've made it doesn't matter what social class that we're in we're all one under the banner of jesus christ amen And because of that, we are to preserve and keep that unity, that oneness in the church and not allow the things that society would try to use to divide us, to divide the church. Because the church is going to be the strongest and the most influential and the most powerful and give the most glory to God when it is in unity. Amen? Now, Paul spent the entire 12th chapter of the book of Romans dealing with that subject, talking about unity in the church and how we all have gifts and we need to work together. And he was dealing with relationships among us in the church, how we interact with one another to preserve unity. Now, in chapter 13, however, he takes a little bit different spin. He's still dealing with relationships, but now Paul is shifting from dealing with relationships within the church to dealing with the church's relationship with those that are unbelievers. So how do you and I interact with people who are unbelievers? How do we as a church, how do we as Christian people interact with a society that is unbelieving in the majority? So what I want to talk about this morning, if you're taking notes and you can write this title down, is living a life of honor. And looking at that in perspective of what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 13 is going to be looking at it through the lens of saying, how do we live a life of honor in a culture that is very much anti-Christ? You know, I don't think so much that the world has problems with people having beliefs and people following a certain uh, uh, a set of religious values or, or moral codes. I don't think the world really has a problem with that. I don't really think that the world has a problem with a lot of the other religions. I think what the world really has a problem with is Jesus. Because if you look at the way that the world is flowing, it's very much flowing, not anti-religion as much as it is anti-Christ. Because Christ was absolute and is absolute authority. And when he spoke, it is the same thing as God speaking when he said, Let there be light. The same voice that formed the world, that formed you and I, that gave us the very breath that we breathe, this, the very same breath that was breathed when Christ is speaking. And so here, it's, it's God in the flesh speaking. And yet, he was persecuted, he was ultimately crucified. The world, the the majority, they hated him, they didn't like his message, they called him a blasphemer, they called him all sorts of names, they mocked him, they ridiculed him, and we see the very same thing happening in our culture today. People aren't necessarily being persecuted because of their religion as much as they're being persecuted because of Jesus. And Jesus said, don't be surprised when this happens. He said that actually this is coming, so you guys need to just be aware of it. He said, fall, we need to count it all joy when we fall into these different trials, when these different temptations, these different things come our way. When we see these things come, we know that Jesus has already said, hey, I want to give you a heads up. The world is actually going to hate you, and it's going to be because of me. And so how do we deal with a world that is thriving on the spirit of Antichrist when we are followers of Jesus Christ? How do we interact? How are those relationships supposed to be? So let's look at that, how to live a life of honor in that culture. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist it bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Then do what's good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear and honor to whom honor. Now, a life of honor is going to bring glory to God. That's the purpose of a life of honor. It's not just another message trying to tell people who are inherently sinful to try to be better people. That's not the goal of us just trying to create a moralistic society. There is nothing different from any religion in the world if that's the goal. If we just say we're just trying to be nice people, every religion is trying to create nice people. The goal is not to be nice people. The goal is to bring glory to God. Amen? That's our goal. That's our purpose. That's why you and I were created. And the fruit of that should definitely be morals and should definitely be good works and good things. But let me tell you, the the main focus of our life, whether in life or death, whether in high times or bad times, our life's purpose is to bring glory to God. And so for us to honor God as Christians in a society that is predominantly anti-Christ, we need to remember that is the goal is to bring honor to and glory to God. Now, the word that he uses, however, to make this happen, to kind of begin to step in that direction of living a life in a culture that's very much anti Christ and still bring glory to God, is not a word we really like. When you look at one of the very first things that he says there is that he tells us to submit to authority. Now, submission is not a word in our culture that we like very well, but yet God calls the believer to submit to him over and over in Scripture. And we all understand that we're supposed to submit to God. I don't think anyone in this room would argue with that fact. You're like, we know this. I'm not even going to write that down because I know it. (laughs) I know I'm supposed to submit to God. Well, he said here in Romans 13 that we're supposed to submit to the governing authorities. Now, how can we say we submit to a God we cannot see But yet we don't submit to the governing authorities in our lives that we can see. When he directly tells us. You see, submission is really a heart issue. Amen? That's really what submission is. Whether do I want to follow the authority that God has placed in my life for the purpose that he's created me for. Which is his glory, by the way. Just in case you forgot and you didn't write it down that we are created for His glory and for us to truly bring Him glory, then wherever He has placed us, He has called us to submit to the governing authorities. Now, we submit to the law to the degree that the law or the government doesn't force us to violate God's law because no one is above God. Amen? So as long as the governing authority is not forcing us to violate God's law, then you and I are called to submit to whatever governing authority we may find ourselves in. Because we need to believe and trust that wherever God has placed us is a part of His divine sovereign will, that where He wants us to be, where He has had us be born and raised up in whatever culture or whatever authority and government structure that we find ourselves in, that we're to operate under that authority in a way that will bring Him glory, regardless of what structure that may be. You see, we live in a democracy. We live in one of the greatest countries on the face of the earth. We live in this nation that has a set of values and beliefs that gives us a lot of freedom. That gives us a lot of freedom to speak, to say, to do. And I know that those things are changing and that those liberties aren't what they once were. But yet we still have more freedom probably than any other nation on the planet. But what if we weren't born in the good USA? What if we weren't born in America? Does that mean that we're not supposed to submit to the governing authorities? What if the government's different? Are we only supposed to submit when the government is the way that we have it set up here in America? Because somehow America, uh, American government structure is the biblical way that we're supposed to set up government structure? No, there's all sorts of different government forms. There's monarchies, there's dictatorships, there's communism, there's all sorts of different forms and structures that people live under. And regardless of what form we may find ourselves in, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to submit as long as that doesn't cause us to violate God's law. That's a harder pill to swallow because we're American and we view the Bible through American lenses. But guess what? The people that Paul was writing that to were where? Where were they at? They were in Rome. Rome was ruled by Caesar. They were ruled under this different form of government than what you and I are under. Whatever Caesar said went. Caesar. They lived under the dictatorship of Caesar. They were going about conquering other nations over and over and over again to expand their kingdom and to establish their authority in those other areas. That's what they did. And Paul told the Roman people to submit to that form of government because he said God put him there. That's what he said. He said that all authority is from God. Now that doesn't mean that people who are in authority always make decisions that God necessarily always wants them to make that are going to glorify Him. Hello, somebody. Excuse me. I think we can all agree. That everyone in uh, power doesn't always make decisions that glorify God. But yet the structure that he has set in place, the purpose of government, the purpose of that authority being set in place is to keep anarchy from happening. To keep us from from, from killing each other. That's why there's boundaries. That's why there's these different things that are set in place in our nation. We have a set of boundaries that the government has established. And you and I are supposed to bring glory to God by submitting and living under that system. Because he has created us to live in America. Now, if we were living somewhere else, as long as those things did not cause us to to, to violate God's law or those things weren't suppressing our faith, then we could stand up and, and, and we could still proclaim the same. So violation of authority should only happen when that authority is abusing or trying to suppress God's truth, God's law. That's when we stand up because God's ways are higher than any man's ways. And it's not just about America has all of the answers. No, whatever government structure we find ourselves in, the church, Christians, are called to submit to that because we're supposed to bring glory to God. What does it do? Well, number one, if we submit to authority, it keeps us out of trouble, keeps us out of jail. (laughs) I mean, for the most part, anyways, I mean, there may come a time where you have to stand up for your faith, and you may be imprisoned or persecuted physically because of it. But right now, we're not seeing too much of those things happen in our country under our government structure. But yet, if those things did happen, then we would be willing to pay the price because we know the value of the gospel and we're convicted by what we believe. But yet, we're called to live peaceably with all men for the purpose of bringing glory to God. You see, this text also shows that police officers and that military personnel and that those who are given authority um, are, can bring about punishment and can do so while being a Christian. You look at Romans 13 and verse 4. People wonder, can I be a police officer? Can I be, <clears throat> can I be in the military and, and be in wars and things like that? And still be a Christian. Yes, absolutely. Verse 4. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So we see that those people, uh, that, that we can still be Christians and live a life that honors God and serve in those capacities. Because living a life of honor is about living a life of submission and sacrifice. It's not about us. It's about doing what God has created and called us to do. Now, Christians should obey the law, and they should uh, operate within that legal form of whatever governmental authority we may find ourselves in. In other words, Christians should be the best citizens under whatever form of government we find ourselves in. Amen? We should be the best citizens. And that means obeying the law, it's what Paul says, that means paying taxes amen, and respecting authority that's what that means because that's what he says right here He's saying, listen render to those who taxes are due now did caesar do things that glorify god absolutely not but he was the person in power just like jesus even reiterated that point um... when he was here on the earth they said who do we pay taxes to i mean come on I mean, hey, you're, you're you're the son of god i mean who do we give our money to? he said no he said Whose head is on this coin? And he said, well, it's Caesar's. Well, then you give to Caesar, what is Caesar. He said, and give to God, what is God's? You see, we need to do that because this is the structure that God has put in place. It's authority because God establishes authority. God establishes authority. We need to remember that. You see, and our allegiance is first and foremost to God. And our commitment to God supersedes our commitment to our government. It supersedes our commitment to our state. It supersedes our commitment to the Packers. Right? Our commitment to God should supersede any other commitment that we have. It, it, should, it should be stronger, deeper than anything else. Oh, well, I love the Packers. No, I know you do. But we're committed to God beyond that. Because we were created for His glory. And when we understand that, it redirects our focus, it redirects our heart. You see, we can know these things in our head. I mean, we, if you've been in church longer than, than five minutes, you've probably heard something to the tune of, Seek first the kingdom of God. You've probably heard something to the tune of, Put God first in your life. You've probably heard something to the tune of, It should be all about God and nothing else. And we know these things up here between our ears. We know these things, and we have registered these things in our mind, and we say these things are truth, but yet does our heart reflect what our mind says that it understands? You see, it has to drain down and sane down and become a part of who we are instead of just something we know. So yeah, God establishes authority. Yeah, we should put God first. Yeah, our commitment to God should supersede any other commitment. But do we allow God to truly have first place and first priority in our heart above everything else? Because our commitments will reflect where our priorities are. And God says, I want to be first place. I want you to understand that you were created for my glory. Let's keep on reading. Romans 13 and verse 8. He says, "O no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Now we see here that loving our neighbor is the way that we live a life that brings glory and honor to God. That this is what you and I are called to do. That we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. He's quoting Jesus here. All right, Paul is quoting Jesus when he said that the greatest commandment of all is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He said everything else that's in the law is summed up in those two sayings. In other words, if we allow those two things to truly grip our heart, allow those two things to truly be our motivation, allow those things to truly influence us, then it's going to affect everything else. I don't think that we have a knowledge problem. I think that we live in a culture and in a day where we have more knowledge than we have ever had before. We have so much access to so much knowledge. I mean, we have Wikipedia, for crying out loud. You can find anything that is absolutely 100% true on Wikipedia, right? I mean, we have the internet, we have books, we have libraries like the world has never seen. And it blows me away, all the knowledge that we have, it blows me away, the things we can access on the internet, the things that we can watch on television, things we can listen to on the radio, things we can read. Man, it is just crazy, there's information and knowledge everywhere. So I don't think that we have a shortage of knowledge. I don't think we have a shortage of information. I think the main problem when it comes to living a life of honor is that we it's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we haven't allowed it to truly grip our hearts. Because that's where all of the issues of life flow from. It's from our heart. It's not just the things that we know because you can read all of the books on every subject and you can sound really impressive and really smart to just about anybody. It's not about what I can gather in my head. No, it's about what I allow to impact my heart. Are we allowing the truth of God's word to impact our heart? Or is it just something that we come week in and week out and we just, we just hear it to gain more knowledge or gain some good tips on how to live a better life? If that's the reason that you're coming here, you're missing the point. The point is, is that you and I were created to give God glory because we realize the greatness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And when the weight of the gospel impacts my heart, not my head, the world understands the impact of the gospel in their minds. You can ask just about anyone on the street in this country and they almost could tell you what Jesus did. But it hasn't impacted their heart. You see, you can go through seminary. You can go through whatever type of schooling or religious rite or passage that you have gone through in your childhood. And it would be nothing but head knowledge. And when we get to heaven and we stand before our Creator, He's not going to say, how much knowledge did you accumulate? Let me plug you up to my heavenly USB cord and let's download how much knowledge you accumulated. Some people take a little longer than others. Some people, there will be an express lane. <laughs> and if all of our knowledge was downloaded and, 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 and all of the things that we know in our heads were viewed and compared by God and then God said, Wow, I'm really impressed with you. Why don't you come on into my heaven? No, is that what God is looking for? Is that the the, the measure that he's looking for? Is how smart we are? How much knowledge we have accumulated? No, he's asking, have you allowed me to impact your heart? Amen. Amen? Have you allowed the weight of the gospel to impact your heart? Have you allowed the reality of the gospel to impact your heart? Because if I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, then I am going to understand loving my neighbor as myself because I understand first how much he loved me and then I can be a conduit of that love to others. Amen? Amen. And when I can show that type of selfless love, then I'm showing the fruit of the gospel impacting my heart. And then my life is giving glory and honor to god that's what he's saying here is it don't owe anyone anything except love now remember what relationship is paul referring to here he's not talking to relationship with people among the church he's not talking about your relationship with other christians he's talking about our relationship with unbelievers that's who he's saying love your neighbor as yourself Reading this in context will show us that Paul is talking about relationship with unbelievers. And the other thing is that people want to use this scripture to talk about borrowing or talk against borrowing. Paul isn't bashing borrowing here. Instead, he is bashing not repaying. He's not saying, don't owe anyone anything except love, so never borrow anything. No, he's saying that we need to live a life of honor by paying what we borrow back. Now, that's a whole other teaching for another day. But the principle is that we should keep a good name for God's glory's sake by paying back what we borrow, especially with unbelievers. Amen. As know it's getting around the holiday time. I know you might have went and had a little Black Friday splurge. But let me tell you something. This is not a financial teaching. But if you borrow money, really all you're doing All you're doing, all credit is, is your word. That's all it is. If you boil it down to the the, the true foundation of what borrowing is, all borrowing money is, all credit is, is giving someone your word. You're saying, if you give me this, I will pay you back. Or I'll pay you back some with interest. Or whatever the case may be, if you will give me this money. And that's all you're saying. Every time you swipe your credit card, you're saying, I'm good for it. You're saying, I will honor my commitment. I will honor my word. That's what you're saying every single time. Now, when we look at our relationship with unbelievers, is our bank full of unbelievers? I don't know. There's probably some unbelievers that work at your bank. Is, what about the credit card company? There's definitely unbelievers there. I've talked to them on the phone. What about with your cell phone company? Definitely. I can't understand them, but I doubt they believe in Jesus. I pressed one for English, but anyways. (laughs) What about the person who keeps the tab at the school where your child goes for the lunch tab? Are those people unbelievers? Yes. There are people that, that are unbelievers in our world that we're borrowing from, whether we realize it or not. And what Paul is saying here is that don't owe unbelievers anything except loving. In other words, honor your word, honor your commitments, because when you do, it brings glory to God. Amen? especially, Paul is saying, especially with unbelievers. Yes, we should always honor our word, even with Christians. I mean, but let me tell you something. We we, we need to honor our commitments. I remember when I was in business for myself, I used to own a website design company, and I designed websites and graphics, and I also did printing on the side as well. And I ran this business in Texas, and my worst two customers that I ever had The types of businesses, the two worst types of businesses that I hated doing business with were bars. Oh, man, bars were awful. They wanted so much for so little, and I guess because they run tabs in their businesses, they thought I did the same. (laughs) But they didn't make good on their tabs. And the other ones were churches. Bars and churches. So you know what I did? And this is me as a pastor at the time in Texas, running my own business from home, what I did was I would charge 100% up front from bars and churches. That was my rule. Isn't that sad that a pastor has to get his money up front? Especially because a lot of times a Christian thought, oh, well, he's a pastor, he'll understand. I still have people today, if I, if I tried to go out and collect on these people, that owe me six, $7,000 for work that I did for them. Churches. Now, what kind of a witness, what kind of a testimony does that give to God? What type of testimony does that give to God? That's why here at Word of Grace, we want to make sure we do everything above boards. If you're a member here at this church, you want to know where do we give our money, where do we send it out, you, you can know. We will give you that information. We print our stuff at the end of the year as well. Make that accessible because we want people to know that our word is good. Amen? Now, praise God that we do that here as a church, but what about us as individuals? What about us as Christians? Do we allow this word, this truth of understanding our lives are called and created to bring glory to God, do we honor our commitments? Do we honor those things or do we violate those things? Because we really don't think that it's a big deal. Well, God thinks that it's a big deal because His name is glorified when we as Christians who carry the banner of Jesus Christ honor our word. Amen? Amen. Amen. So how can we love our neighbor? How can we love our neighbor? Well, there's a lot of different ways we can love our neighbor. But we can give honor where honor is due. We can keep our commitments. We can think less of ourselves and more of others. We can give of ourselves selflessly. But really, how do I love my neighbor if I don't know him? How do I love my neighbor if I don't know him? In other words, am I willing to associate with unbelievers? Me as a Christian, who I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world, in the sense of I'm a part of a different set of values and kingdom principles Because this world is ruled and dominated by sin. And so me being a Christian, being a follower of Christ, I'm here in this world, but I'm not of this world. So so am I supposed to associate with unbelievers? Well, let's look at the model of perfection. And that's not you, and that's definitely not me. It's Jesus. Did Jesus associate with unbelievers? Absolutely he did. Did Jesus sit down and eat with unbelievers? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, he got accused from the religious people of sitting down and having a meal with tax collectors, with people who were known as prostitutes, with people who were known as thieves and liars. He even touched a man who was, uh, uh, had a contagious disease of leprosy. Whoa. Could Jesus have healed the man with leprosy by speaking to him? Yeah. Because Jesus healed the centurion's servant by speaking. He said, the centurion said, just say the word and my servant will be healed. But what about the man with this life-threatening disease of leprosy that if you touched a leper, you had to go live in a leper colony or be stoned to death? Those were your options, all right? And Jesus touched the leper. He touched a man who hadn't been touched in a long time because he, under- he wanted to show us and model for us who our neighbor was. Those that society has rejected, those who society has has wanted to brush under the rug, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to sit and eat with you. I'm going to touch you. I'm going to show you love. I'm going to show you compassion. I'm going to show you the perfect love of God for you, that I'm going to love you right where you're at. My love is not conditional based, where you have to meet certain conditions before I will love you. No, I'm going to love you right in the middle of your junk. That's why Paul said that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? You see, Paul is reminding us and showing us the value of Jesus. Let's keep on reading Romans 13 and verse 11. And do this, loving your neighbor as yourself, do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Paul is saying, listen, live every day as if Jesus were coming back for us. That we should live differently than the unbelieving society. Even though we can still love them. Even though we can still fellowship with them. Even though we can still show them that love of God. It doesn't mean that we have to live like an unbelieving society. Amen? Christians should be different than the majority of unbelieving society in the values that we have because we have a hope that an unbelieving society doesn't have. We have a peace and a joy. We have an understanding of forgiveness that an unbelieving society doesn't have. We have an understanding of grace and the power and the weight of the gospel that an unbelieving society doesn't have. So should our lives be different? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean we disassociate with them altogether together and we write them off. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So although we've received forgiveness and although we understand that, it doesn't set us apart in a way where we're, uh, where we're divided. No, we want to go and, and, and be influential in society. Because that's what God has called us to be. He's called us to be salt and light in the earth. Amen. He's called us to have an influence and an impact where He has called us to live under the governmental authority that He has placed us in, in the nation that He has called us to live in, he wants us to bring Him glory. He wants us to love our neighbor. He wants us to have an impact and an influence in society because we're people who understand, not just with our heads, but in our hearts that Jesus is coming back very soon. And we awake from our slumber and we live our lives with purpose, with meaning, with passion, and we do something with this thing called the gospel more than just sit on it and sit in church and try to become smart church people. We actually get out there and do something with it. Amen? Because it has impacted our hearts we love our neighbor we get to know our neighbor we invest in relationship with other people we invest in relationship with even those who may not believe in Jesus maybe you work somewhere where your boss is an unbeliever and that makes working there really difficult maybe you have a co-worker or someone who's in authority over you that is an unbeliever and it makes it really difficult Pastor, what am I supposed to do? Well, does God want you to be there? Has he called you to be there? Because maybe even though it's difficult for you, he's called you there to be salt and light. You know, we always want to run away from conflict. We always want to avoid conflict. We always want to avoid pressure. So if if we're in an environment where there's unbelievers present, we want to use that as justification for removing ourselves from the situation. What if God has called you to be there to be salt and light? And you've been missing the point because you think Christianity is all about easy street. And you think Christianity is all about how to make my life easier. That's not the point of Jesus dying on the cross. The point of Jesus dying on the cross is so that God could be glorified. And he's given you the tools to be able to go out and to be salt and light in the earth, to have influence with unbelievers. Amen? How do we do that? Paul tells us right here in Romans chapter 13. He says, obey the structure that you're a part of. Be the best citizen. Be the best employee. Be the best that you can be in that area that I've called you to be in. Submit. Don't, don't bend the rules. Don't look for all of the loopholes and all of the windows that you can move around some verbiage to, 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 to make your, your flesh appeased. No, no, no. Do good. Do what is right. Because when you do, it brings glory to God. Because you've been gripped by the gospel in your heart. Because you're different. And people take note of that, and they want to know what's different about you. And then when they see Jesus in you, then it gives them hope. Amen? It gives hope. Paul reminds us that Jesus loved us right where we're at, that he brought glory to God through the way he demonstrated the love of God in every way. He showed compassion. He showed mercy. He showed forgiveness. He showed selflessness. He showed humility, so much more. So this holiday season, I want you to ask yourself this question. How can I live in a way that would bring honor to God? How can I live in a way that would bring honor to God? By asking yourself, what is one thing I could do today to love my neighbor? What is one thing I could do today to know my neighbor? What is one thing I could do to submit to authority? Whether it's my boss, whether it's the system at work, whether I agree with it or not. Because we don't always agree with it, but it's there. We need to recognize it. We need to recognize that for us to truly glorify God, we're not going to be glorifying God if we're always bucking the system and causing problems, are we? No. Because then people are going to go, and that guy says he's a Christian? And that lady says she's a Christian? Really? They never show up on time? They never do their job? Those are people that call themselves Jesus followers? What church do they go to? Not a word of grace. Oh, one down the street. (laughs) Boo! I know, that's bad. We definitely definitely want to give grace. But we want to understand, too, that God has called us to a higher standard. That He's called us to show His glory and to bring glory to Him by the way we live our lives, especially the way that we live and interact with unbelievers, especially in those relationships. See, what I want to ask you here is, is, are you living your life in a way that you can owe no man anything but love. And I want you to make your mission this week. You can go ahead and put that back up there. I want you to make your mission this week to show love to those who don't know Jesus through living a life of honor. That's what I want you to do this week. So you make that your mission. Say, I want to live my life in a way that, 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 that I'm going to live that life of honor. Those who don't know Jesus. I put that up there because I want you to write that down. I want you to ask the question, maybe around the dinner table. Maybe you sit around the dinner table with your family today. Kids, how can we do this? Pastor challenged us to do this, and as he read through Romans chapter 13 and taught us from Romans 13 about loving our neighbor, about submitting to authority, what are some things we as a family could do to make it our mission to show love to those who don't know Jesus? How could we as a family bring honor to God? What's one thing we could do? Don't overwhelm yourself. Don't overload yourself. Just, just start simple, okay? Start simple. What's one thing we could do this week that would bring honor to God? One thing, one selfless thing that we could do to bring honor to God. Well, man, it could be as simple as this. I've, uh, maybe you've been showing up you know, 10, 15 minutes late to work every day. Get there 10, 15 minutes early. Something simple like that. Maybe you're behind on some taxes. Maybe it's time to make those things right. Maybe you've been having scuffle with the boss because you don't like the way the boss runs things. Maybe it's time that you recognize that you're salt and light. God, how do I handle this situation? How do I navigate this? Instead of trying to convince everyone how right you are and how wrong everyone else is, why don't you spend that energy loving your neighbor? Bringing glory to God because the gospel has impacted your heart instead of always playing the victim card. God, how can I take responsibility and ownership and bring you glory? Because that's my purpose. And when I understand that, it changes the way I act and the way I interact with other people. Amen? So let's move forward this week with this. Let's make that our mission. Can you agree to that? Can we make that our mission? Let's make it our mission. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's stop talking about it. Let's suck it up and do it. That's right. Get her done, Wayne. That's right. Exactly. Let's get this thing done. Let's step up, especially during the holiday season when we would be the most tempted to be very selfish. Let's make sure that we use this time. Focus on others. How can I love my neighbor? What can I do? Instead of it being about me, how can I make it about God? Allow that to influence and impact our lives. Amen, church? All right, I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everyone that has come here that is sitting here listening intently, Lord, to hear your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will help this word disdain through the filter of every single person's situation, their, their marriage, their situation at work, their relationship with their children, their relationship with their friends and family, whatever's going on in their life. I pray this word will somehow, through your Holy Spirit, have an impact on them right where they're at today and what they walked in with today. And I pray that you would allow this word to germinate and grow good things in their lives that would bring glory to God. Help us, Lord, to truly learn how to walk in humility and submission to where you've called us to so that we can bring glory and honor to God and so that we can show people the goodness of the gospel. We love you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up this morning? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.